Hello everyone and welcome along to Northumberland FA podcast from the sidelines with me Gary Middleton. Special guest tonight Ian Bogie, Newcastle United under 18 assistant coach and the topic to, today we're going to talk and discuss with Ian is the modern midfielder. Ian, thanks very much for taking the time out from your role at Newcastle tonight uh, to take part in our From the Sidelines podcast series. Um, can you just explain to everyone your playing career and your, your current coaching journey? Well, playing career, Gary, a bit of a journeyman, as they would say. <laughs> so, um, played for many clubs, obviously grew up in the east end of Newcastle, Walker lad. Uh, with a dream of always wanting to play for Newcastle United. Um, so when I was 13, 14, 15, as you said, went on many trials to many clubs. Um, yeah. Chelsea, Aston Villa, Burnley, West Brom, Sunderland, um, which was great experience, but always with a view that I wanted to sign for Newcastle. And I had the good fortune when I was a 14-year-old. Um, I actually came back from West Brom at Jalbian on a trial and I was picked up at the central station by um, a great friend of mine and a scout who we all know, Brian Clark. Yeah. He shipped us, shipped us straight off to St. James's Park to meet the manager, Arthur Cox at the time. Yeah. Jackie Milburn was there, Joe Harvey, uh, Willie McFall on the coach and staff. And I was only a 14 year old kid. And when I went up there um, to meet them at St. James's Park, they offered me a six year contract believe it or not. I was obviously 14. I was a talented young player at the time and doing doing okay. I was doing well. Lots of trials and playing for boys club, Walls End Boys, the famous Walls End Boys Club, Newcastle City Boys, your county, as you, as you know. Um, and I was offered a six-year contract, which meant two years associated schoolboy forms, uh, two-year apprentice and a guaranteed two-year professional. And I was yeah, shell-shocked and mm. You know, couldn't get the pen quick enough. Saying the forms and I was over the moon. And like you did in the days, how much the games changed. We used to have to go up during the, the half-term holidays, the Easter breaks, February half-term term, and train with the other associated school boys. Um, and indeed, I can remember yourself, you know. You, and when I, when, I, when I came through, obviously, as 14 and when you become apprentice, and I can remember yourself being up there with the likes of Tony Hayton, Ashton mm-hmm. Land. Yeah. And I always remember a lad, Norman Froud. Yeah. Remember his fondly, good, good young players. And you can remember that what a real, real good crop of youngsters at the time, all street kids, street footballers. Absolutely. And um, I had the good fortune, like I said, to serve me apprenticeship there at Newcastle. Um, and going back, obviously, that, that squad of uh, uh, apprentices at the time, some 15 or worth it was, first and second year apprentices. And it was 19, I think, 1983, 84. That when we won the youth FA Youth Cup, mm-hmm. and then within that squad of uh, fifteen players, there was actually nine of that squad featured for the first team, which is unheard of today. That's so it was a good. fantastic achievement. Some fantastic young players. Obviously, the most notable was Gaza, you mm-hmm. know, who, who went on to have a stellar career and one of the greatest players this country has ever produced. Um, so served me apprenticeship in Newcastle. Went on to be a professional. Um, I made my debut at the age of 19, um, which then was the top flight, the, the old first division, which is now obviously the Premier League, it was Willie McFawley giving me my debut down at Luton Town. And that was on the old uh, AstroTurf pitch, 
And Luton Town at the time were a, one of the top sides in the country. Uh, host of real good players, international players, Ricky Hill, Brian Steen, Mal Donaghy at the back, them were real good players. So I made my debut um, at Luton Town alongside the likes of Peter Beardsley, um, which was a great moment for me personally and my family. Obviously, mm-hmm. playing at Newcastle United, it was fantastic. So then I spent a, a, a time in and out of the squad, didn't feature anywhere near enough that I wanted at the time. Probably made up the seven or eight full appearances, come off the bench a good few times. Um, and ultimately what happened then is that there was a change of manager, Willie McFall, who was the manager at the time. He, he got the opportunity to spend quite a bit of money. He brought in the likes of Dave Besant, Andy Thorne, John Henry, John Robinson from Scotland, um, which was exciting times for the club, but it didn't really pan out well. Uh, team started to struggle. Ultimately, when a team struggles, manager gets the sack. New manager comes in, Jim Smith. Became the, the Newcastle manager. He came in and ultimately I played a few games under Jim Smith. I played one game. We played in the FA Cup. I can remember at St. James's Park. I featured in a game in the day when I used to play an FA Cup game. It was like if you drew, you played away. If you drew away, you played at home. I think this tie went to about three games. Played at St. James's Park. Uh, one night we got a draw. I had to play them away. Uh, and after the away tie, Paul is in the office and he says, look, he says... Um, I've got an well. You've got an opportunity to go to Press North End. He says I'm very interested in taking a Press North End player. Uh, were you going the other way on a on a swap deal? So at the time I was I was a young lad. I'm saying, looking back now, I could have easily says, look, no, I'm not going to move. It's not for me. Uh, I was a bit naive at the time. Didn't deal with agents and things like that. It was just at my decision. And I thought, well, okay then. If I'm not in your plans, I'll move and try to play some football elsewhere. So that's what happened. I, I was packed off to Preston North End. Gary Brazil came to Newcastle. I went uh, um, to Preston. And that was in the February 1989. So I spent two years at Preston North End. Had a relocate down there. Young lad. Uh, again, like I said, uh, two years at Preston North End under an ex-Newcastle player, John McGrath. Played on the uh, AstroTurf pitch. And I had a two two seasons then. I had a, I had a decent spell of Pressing. I enjoyed my time there. Uh, and in the two, after the two years, I was coming out of contract and I had an offer to go to play for Millwall. Um, so that opportunity came along and it, and it went to a, a tribunal. And um, Millwall offered a fee and Press North End wanted more and I had to go to a tribunal. I think they paid about 140, 145,000 at the time. That was 1991. So I went down to Millwall and played. Uh, then were then in the championship. Preston North End, by the way, just backtracking somewhat. Preston North End were in the third division. So then there was division one, two, three, and four. So I went to Preston North End in the third division. And I got a bit of an upgrade. I was lucky to get an upgrade. I went to Millwall, who were in the in the um, second division. Um, so I went to Millwall. Bruce Riott was the manager. He's the manager who obviously took Dennis Bergkamp to Arsenal. Um, and I had a two-year spell down there again. Millwall had some terrific players. Alex Ray, Colin Cooper, local lad. Um, had some re- Casey Keller, the goalkeeper. They had some good, good players down there. And I had a two-year spell down at um, Millwall. Mick McCarthy, another player at the time at the club. 
Again, after a period of time, results weren't going fantastically well. Bruce Rioc lost his job, and they gave Mick McCarthy the job for a period of time. Um, now, I was in and out the team with Mick McCarthy, and again, there was an opportunity for me to go um, on loan to Leighton Orient. I was vying for a position, central midfield. There was lots of midfield players. So I says, again, I just wanted to play. I wanted to play in front of the crowd. Um, uh, so I went late Orient for a spell. Late Orient were, again, like I said, four divisions. Late Orient were in the third division. So I had a real good productive spell at Late Orient for a short period of time. Uh, there's a well-highlighted documentary on about Late Orient and John Sitton, football's modest manager, and what he was he was in charge of the team at the time. And um, what happened at Late Orient, the, the chairman of the club, he had a business in Rwanda, which there was a civil war. He lost all his money and put the club up for a sale. And um, ultimately, the snooker tycoon, Barry Hearn, came in, took over the club. I was seen as one of the maybe the, the decent earners at the club at the time, so he made me available for transfer. And and I signed for um, Port Vale. Mm-hmm. And Port Vale, there isn't a place called Port Vale, it's based in Stoke on Trent. Um, and I went down there, Port Vale were then currently, then were in like again, which is now the Championship, uh, Division Two. And I had a real, real good time. I had a four year period playing for Port Vale. You know, against some great teams, Man City and the likes of Wolves and some smashing teams in that um, league. We're always competitive in that league, I'd have to say. So it was a real good spell for us at Portville. Probably the, the most enjoyable time I has, had as a player mm-hmm. uh, playing. And from Portville, obviously, again, four years there. And after a period of four years, I had another change of manager. A new manager came in, Brian Horton. I didn't really see eye to eye with Brian Horton. I wasn't really in his plans. Uh, come out of contract there. And I decided after being away for many years as a player, we decided to move back up north, come back up home. Yeah. 1999, this was, Gary. Yeah. And um, came back up home with a view that maybe he's getting fixed up with one of the local teams. Being realistic, there was Darlington, Carlisle and, and Hartlepool. They were the teams maybe he's within reach. But unfortunately, nothing happened. You know, I trained on my own and had to work, um, keep myself fit and hope the beginning of the season that a club would come in and, and give us an opportunity. And I got a phone call off a, an ex-teammate of mine, Gary Barnett, who was the assistant manager at Kidderminster. Now, Kidderminster had just won the Conference National to come into the Football League for the first time in their history. And he asked us to go down for a trial. Uh, a week before the season started, they were playing Boston United, and and I had to say, I says, "A trial, Gary." I says, "You're in the, you're in the like, the fourth division." I says, "I've been, I've played in, like 200, 250 games in the championship, so to speak." Well, the gaffer needs to see you. How fit you are? are you this? I says, "Okay." And so I got a train down to Boston. Done it right. Went down there, played a game, and I had the good fortune. I had a decent game. And the manager was Jan Molby, the ex-Liverpool, great central midfield player. And I had the good fortune again, he offered us a two-year deal. So me thinking I'm come back to the northeast, I ended up going back to you know, right down into the Midlands in the Kidderminster mm-hmm. on a two on a two-year contract. So my playing career was curtailed by an injury, I had back problems and what's it, so I cut short my career at uh, on my on my stint there at uh, Kidderminster. 
and I came back home and I officially retired as a professional player. Yeah. Um, at the age of thirty-three, obviously moved on. I played, came out of that, and I, and I went to play for a local team up here, um, up the northeast, Bedlington Terriers. Uh, and I had a se- two seasons with Bedlington Terriers in the in the Northern League before I called it called it a day playing yeah. playing professionally. Then after that, ultimately, I got into coaching. Uh, I thought, well, that's all I've done all my life. Was that the next step for you, Ian? Was that it had to be, Gary. It had yeah. to be. I think. I think I was. I was silly at the time because I was. When I was at a club, um, I thought, well, I've got a two-year contract. I moved on. I had a three-year contract. I moved on again. A two-year contract. I, you, you never think it's going to end. But right. when the day finally happened, I took stock and I think, I don't know anything other than football. Mm-hmm. So all the experiences I've had and all the managers and coaches I've worked under and all the smashing players I've worked with and played with, I thought this has got to be the next uh, the next step. So when I was at Leighton Orient, incidentally, I took me, first, me level one coaching course many, many years ago. And that, I remember the day when that included, you had to do a referee's exam. Yeah. <laughs> had to do that. So I, I completed that. And when I came back, I said, right, I've got to, you know, because obviously... Uh, being a professional football ex- etc I, I went straight in to do the UFRB licence mm-hmm. mm-hmm. and I did that at Northern, Northumberland FA incidentally uh, with uh, Barney Jones uh, oh, Rob Akin I can remember yeah. doing that um, so I, I completed that um, I got the experience which obviously playing and coaching totally different Yeah, I gained some experience with coaching and doing grassroots coaching and managed grassroots teams for a number of years and after probably three years of having that experience, UEFA B, um, obviously completed my me, me UEFA year license. And, um, and during obviously that time from obviously uh, coaching and, and getting qualifications, and then I went into the management side. So coaching the youngsters, and I went to work. Oh, so I went to work, I went to help out where. where um, where I was from in, in the East End of Newcastle, Walker. I managed their team, Walker Central Senior Team in the Northern Alliance for a season or two. Um, I moved on to uh, be an assistant manager at Gateshead Football Club in the Unibon Premier League they were in the day. Then I got the job as a manager um, in the, 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 over the, the period of time I was at Gateshead for the five years I was the manager were, were had the good fortune of um, getting two promotions from the Unibond Premier League um, to the Conference National League, uh, which was fantastic. But as I keep saying to people, when you're a manager, there's one thing for sure: you're always going to get the sack, yeah. which happened to me uh, under the uh, off the back of a few bad results. And ultimately, time was up at Gateshead. I left there in 2012. Um, went from a being a, a part-time side to a full-time professional side training every day. So it brought the club a long way, to be fair. Mm-hmm. Had some great, great times, some smashing players, great members of staff. And I moved on after the period of being out the game for a few months. I took the, the Stockport County manager's job, which Stockport County is a massive club in their own right. And even today, I look at, I keep, keep abreast of their results as well. And, them look, you know, odds on to be promoted back into the football league. Great fan base, great people down there. 
had a short spell managing, came out of the game, went into a different line of work for a short period of time. I got a phone call from um, Newcastle's academy manager at the time, uh, Joe Joyce, would I be interested in doing some part-time stuff with the young lads? I jumped at the chance, went down, I uh, had a chat with, with Joe at the time and, and I started off the Newcastle academy journey working with the under-14s, lending me hand in the under-13s, under-12s, uh, moved on to work with under-15s, progressed to the under-16s, for a season or two, and now I'm currently assistant coach with um, Peter Ramage, ex-Newcastle United, Crystal Palace, QBR, defender. Um, he's the lead coach at the under-18 side, our system now on a full-time basis at the club. Fantastic career, Ian. <laughs> it's a bit long-winded, that, guys, isn't it? Thank God. <laughs> but, and, but so lucky to have continued to work in the game for so many years, Ian, I think. Uh, uh, yeah, I think I'm for, you know forever grateful. We've got to yeah. remember, and I think you know there's lots of smashing footballers out there looking around for jobs, and I keep saying yeah. there's only limited jobs available in the mm. professional game, you know. So mm. always grateful, yeah. yeah. Ian, so I mean, looking at the modern midfielder, that's that that's where you played your football, central midfield, and um, your experiences back then. Uh, to what a midfield looked like in the 80s, 90s. Very different to what it looks like now. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned earlier you played with you played with Gaza. Yeah. Newcastle. Um would you play did you play in the same team as Gaza back in them days? So two, you were a footballer that got on the ball, picked out passes, short, long. Gaza was similar, probably more of a dribbler than yourself. But two highly creative footballers, midfielders. Would would you did you play in the same team together? We played in the youth team together many yeah. times, no doubt. First team level, we played one game together in central midfield, me and Gaza, and that was a QPR away, and that was a, a we played a, again. That was on an astroturf pitch. Uh, he was central midfield. I played off the right side of midfield. Um, when you're talking about, you know how the game has changed in terms of the midfield and you'll probably back this up in the day in the 80s in the 90s early well early 80s late 80s teams were predominantly made up of two central midfield players a right winger a left winger two centre forwards that's the way it was that's the way it was so in terms of even my development at Newcastle United I can remember in the in the youth team or the juniors it was the same. Two central midfield players, right winger, left winger, centre forward, somebody playing off of the centre forward. Yeah. Now, when I was at Newcastle, I either played as a central midfield player or right-sided midfield player or indeed alongside uh, ex-Newcastle striker, I played at Chelsea, Joe Allen, played off of him sometimes higher up the pitch. Um, was that like, is it 10? Yeah, yeah. I, I'm saying it wasn't like, yeah, it was like a 10. I wasn't like a back you know, a back to the centre half player and and I was trying to find maybe the little pockets. It wasn't say, right, you're gonna play in the in the spaces between the lanes. I think we we just had to try to find them, you know what I mean? Find yeah. it. And me like play off it. Joe Allen was more of a uh he could get a hard of it up the top end of the pitch. He could flick things on. He had to just read his you know, his, his touches, etc. Yeah. Um playing in the central midfield with Gaza, yeah, we played in the youth team many times together. 
But a lot of my um, upbringing in terms of position-wise was either as a central midfield player. I can remember playing as a young lad for Ward's End Boys Club, being a right footer, playing off the left side of midfield, coming in on my right foot. Indeed, I made my debut for Newcastle United at Luton Town as a right-sided midfield player. So, But the team was predominantly made up of a 4-4-2 shape. Back four, four across the middle of the park. Ultimately, you usually had the two wide players who supplied crosses into the box, where you had a big centre-forward, usually in somebody playing off of them, or two big centre-forwards. That's, that's how the game was in the day. Never had like the three in the midfield and the, the double pivot, or one sitting in front and two advanced. That never really happened, Gary. To be honest. So you had a, you had a holding midfield player in there with a more creative player, yeah, in, in yeah, in two positions. Yeah. So moving on to the the modern game now. Yeah. That looks very different, doesn't it? That midfield. Well, you look at your top sides, don't you? you whether it be Man City, who operates in their midfield areas, you know, your um, your, your Silvas and your, your Gundahan and. Phil Foden is a false nine dropping in there. How the game's changed and uh, how much different it is. Like I said, come back back to the day we used to, and you remember and fondly, you know, um, central midfield, number four was usually the sitter. Yeah. And that was at Newcastle, I can remember, in the first team coming through. That was Dave McCreary, mm-hmm. little terrier in the midfield mm-hmm. player. He was a, um, a little terrier. He'd be at your ankles. He was a winner and he'd give it to your ball player and your ball player would be the one who... Uh, supplied the ammunition for the front line or indeed switched the play. He was your creative force. But now what you've got now, you've got an array of players who are absolutely super intelligent on the ball. Mm-hmm. Uh, teams are usually overloading that midfield area because I keep saying that and I'm probably being biased because the midfield is the engine room of any team. There's no doubt about that. So your yeah. top teams have the best players and the most effective players, the most creative players operating in them areas. Yeah, and you're not only you're not just seeing that creativity from your eight and ten, and your four being the holder now. You're seeing that from your two wide players at the, at the top of the pitch as well, aren't you? That are creative and clever. Yeah. Well, what you're touching on there, Gary, is like your wide players now uh, in the modern game. They're now taught to be playing inside, link the play inside. Um, you've got, you know, your fullbacks in the modern game, whether it be Man City, you've got Cancelo, who you see operating in midfield, indeed supplying and creating and scoring goals high up the pitch. Kyle Walker coming into the midfield area, you know, so they're so versatile now. The players yeah. who are on the pitch, um, it's unbelievable what you're seeing now in the in the modern game for sure. In that, that probably takes us takes me nicely on to me to my next question. So. Working in working in the academy system as as you are, are you are you seeing players coming through pigeonholed in the specific numbers from an early age? So you know they're coming in. I'm, I'm a four. I'm an eight. I'm a ten. Yeah. Are you seeing a lot of that now? You do see that. I think players. Well, they normally come in and they come in a, into the club and whether they come in on trail or the same, they come in predominantly as whether it be a centre half. Right back, centre midfield player, right sided, centre forward. But the beauty of it is, is when I have discussions with parents, where when we have parents, even particularly when it was in the younger age group, and the parents ask question, well, 
why is he not playing like as a number four all the time? He comes as a number four. Why is he not playing there all the time? You shift yeah. him across to the right-hand side of midfield. He's played right back. I think what we've got to explain to them is the versatility required now in the game is priceless, you know? Yeah. They've got to understand that. And I've had multiple com- conversations with parents. Why we do, we do this at Newcastle, particularly the, age, the, the younger age group, is giving them that experience to play in a number of positions. And I, I, I tell them this through experience of myself because ultimately these young kids are coming through and hopefully we talked about the percentage rate of, of players making it as professional, Gary. I don't have to tell you the stats in terms of that. 1% will get through if they're lucky to be a mm-hmm. professional footballer anywhere. Now, the likelihood these players who are at the academy uh, would be fantastic if they get through and play for Newcastle United, one. But number two, they may have to go, which you see now with the likes of Elliot Anderson, uh, Matty Longstaff, um, and a few other lads have had to go down the leagues. Um, when you go down the leagues, ultimately, the squads are vastly reduced because of finances and managers are requiring players if they're carrying a squad of 18 or 17 18 players them need players who can do a job on the right side of midfield a holding midfield he can maybe do a job at right back so that's why it's so important we give them that experience in the academy moving forward to help develop them as players moving forward Mm. you know it's it's yeah. invaluable. So, so we're wanting a more rounded player, aren't we? We're wanted a. I suppose that the the role of grassroots coaches is to is to develop that more rounded player that can play in more positions than being pigeonholed to one. In definitely, as you said there, whether it be you know automatically you see a, a big lad coming in, you think well, is a goalkeeper or a centre half? Yeah, he maybe end up there, but he's got to have the experience and maybe. He's, See what it's like playing as a right back, understanding when he has to cover for his centre half. If he plays a centre half, understand how he's got to cover as a right back. Opportunities like that, like I said, Gary, are priceless for young yeah. players. So not pigeonholing them. Yeah, he may end up there, but giving them the experience um, to play in a, a number of positions is really important. Yeah, yeah, because as, as the as the game evolves, seen. You want our players to evolve as well, don't we? And, and have a have a probably a bigger and a better understanding around different positions on the pitch. Which ultimately, it, you know, as you've mentioned, going going away to a, a League Two team or a League One team who are maybe working, you know, with a with a squad of 15, 17 players, they wanting players that can play a couple of positions. Well. I'll give, you, I'll give you a heads up on this one, Gary. When I was a manager of a team, and I'm not going to name any names in terms of I had to meet the chairman. Um, when we when we start when we started, he wanted a a player a backup in every position. I ideally wanted a squad of 22 players. Right. So as time evolved and the game evolved and finances gave a bit tight. Ultimately, we had a meeting two years later. Uh, I met him again, and he says, "Finances are a bit tight. I'm changing that plan. Now I need play- I need a squad, seventeen players, and instead of having a fixed right back, that right back has to be able to adapt and be have the experience to play maybe as a right sided attacking player, 
or a sitting midfield player. See what I'm saying? The left-sided yeah. attacking player might have to be, could he do a job as a left-back? Could he play in central midfield? So I had to then, coming from, and indeed release players, because maybe he's in their earlier career, there's young players coming through who are pigeonholed, and, and maybe he's just right, he's a right-back, he's playing there, has he any experience playing? Centre-half, can he play as a centre-midfield player? So I, unfortunately, at the time, had to release players at, at senior level, because they were a fixed position. Mm. When the finances are tight, particularly with players now, they have to. The, the bottom line is, like I said, a lot of them have to go down the leagues and managers are looking for players who can be adaptable and versatile and play a number of positions. And I tell mm. this story a number of times to um, kids' parents who say, well, he's, he's a centre midfield. Why is he not playing there all the time? No, no, because of this. This is what's going to happen. You know? Yeah. So... Yeah. Yeah, and and I suppose in a couple of good examples that 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 I've pulled out here, and you might have a couple yourself, of this versatility within my midfield as Declan Rice, who can break up the play and sit in there, but also is a fantastic passer of the ball and can go and join in with the with the forwards, and Mason Mount, who can who can play the the ten, the eight, or yeah. he can play the the seven, yeah. eleven. So very versatile, and I suppose when you look at the England setup, it's given them especially Mason, lots of opportunities to be picked in the team. Of course. I think what you've touched on there, Gary, you've got a, you've got a player there who's um, he's playing in the top club side in Chelsea. Uh, versatility, you've, you've touched on there. He can play a four, eight and a ten. Comfortable in all of them. Declan Rice, again, uh, probably predominantly known as more of a, a sitting midfield player who can break up the, uh, break up the play. Uh, physicality. He's played at the. I know he's played as a centre half for West Ham. Uh, plays a number four, but also plays as a number eight, and that will probably be his grounding from coming through as a young player. You know, he's he's, yeah. he's definitely played them positions before, and it stood yeah. him in in great stead for obviously his club side at senior level, and indeed at international level. Which is mm. you know if you ask if you ask the any of the players who are in that senior setup now. For sure, I bet they've played in a number of positions coming through. Mm, absolutely, Ian, you, you did a you did a study program on on the lad Barella from Inter Milan, Italy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, do you want to chat a little bit about him after after speaking to you? I, I YouTube and watched some of his clips and, and and what a footballer this lad is, mind. What a midfielder he is. Do you just want to just chat and tell people about what, what came out of that programme? Yeah, well, well, what it was, what happened, it was over the Christmas period in the club, obviously, where we've got a good thing going at the club with, uh, obviously, Neil Neil Winskill, the, the head coach developer at the, the club. And he set away some tasks during the Christmas break. You know, when you have that two-week break and you think, all right, we've had... But all the mince pies. We've had the box of quality streets. So let's get down to some football business. <laughs> and uh, he said, he said, so we're buddied up with the other coaches within the club. And uh, we had different tasks. Somebody had to, uh, a couple of the coaches were working on the Bayern Munich's wide play. And, uh, another couple were on Bournemouth, how Bournemouth were under Eddie Howe. Uh, and me and um, a couple of the coaches had a task. We, set a, we had a task on Nicolo Barella, the Inter Milan and Italian um, midfield player. Now, what it was is just um, 
looking at his style of play, how he played, and you're talking about systems and shapes and what's uh, how he operated in his club side and how he transferred that into his national side. So Nicola Barella, again, you know, you're talking about your top midfield players of the modern age, Javi and Iniesta, and they're all quite slight of build. They're not giants, you know, operating in the midfield. But these are fantastic technicians. And Barella, and obviously the European, the won the European Championship indeed with Italy. He was a player that we took a bit of interest on and studied how we how we played and where he played for Italy. Player who stands no bigger than five foot eight again. So for his club side, he plays for Inter Milan, who played predominantly a five three two formation. And he he's a a player who played um, in a three for Inter Milan, but on the right hand side, right footed, only small. But in terms of the modern midfield player, what everybody likes to see, he can do a bit of everything. Mm. Uh, he, he works on the right hand, obviously the right hand side centrally, but he comes from in to out. He makes runs, them Zidane runs out to, oh, sorry, in to out in the wide channels. Uh, great runner of the ball, great distributor of the ball, a range of passing. You now, the skill set required for the your, your modern day top midfield players. Mm. He has that uh, in abundance. Uh, maker a goal, creator a goal, creator of goals, um, and he can he can score a goal or two himself. Yeah. But at the same time, he understands obviously the modern game. And today, what we're trying to preach to the young players in every any position is that they've got a responsibility to out of possession. They've got to yeah. be able to. You know, we're not all going to be the best defenders. We can appreciate that. But they've got to be willing to work hard and be tough and robust and they want to run back and track back. And he does that fantastically well. So we did a little bit of research on how he played and his he's, he's heat map and this, that and the other. And, and that where he plays for his national side, uh, similar again in a three. And when they won the, champ, uh, the European Championship uh, for Italy against England at Wembley. That midfield three they had, they had um, Barella, Jorginho from Chelsea uh, and Verratti, the PSG centre midfield player. So them just worked together. Fantastic. And the three of them, you know, you see plenty of football from obviously the Premier League with Jorginho in the middle of the park and you know what he brings. But he's a little bit of craft to quality is passing. Um, Verratti from PSG who was a, a workhorse but a, a great technician. So that midfield three um, like I said, we just did some studies on them and, and looked and see what they were really effective at. Mm-hmm. at and um, so it was, you know, it was really good. Ian, to create these types of players with this skill set, um, what do we need to do as coaches to be developing this within young players? Do you think? Well, you know, I'm talking about, I'm talking about, oh, we're discussing here that obviously the role of central midfield players. I think. The key key things for these sort of players in it in the modern game we're looking for obviously um, range of passing. Uh, the players are now have got to show great awareness. We keep talking about you know the the, the top midfield players of the modern time, whether it be Gazas, Frank Lampard, Gerard Schools. They've got great awareness. They're always scanning, always checking the shoulder. Mm-hmm. What's going to happen next? What if this happens? Uh, be able to play off both feet. Um, Receiving skills, super important, which we work a lot on in the academies. Um, speed, 
speed of the pass. The important thing is being or hiding your intentions, being deceptive where you're passing, disguise yeah. passing. Yeah. You know, all big traits required to yeah. be a top top midfield player in the modern game. So we'll we'll work on a lot of that in the academy. Uh, how do we get that out of the young players? Ultimately, a lot of it's to do with practice design to help the mm-hmm. players. Mm-hmm. Have the good fortune at the academy now, and particularly now with the under thirteens, fourteens, and the young kids working through a lot of technical practices. We'll have position specific training from thirteens and fourteens, under fifteens at the academy. Where, for an example, this week, um, I was working with um, one of the other coaches, Chrissy Moore, who leads the under sixteens. And we were working with the central midfield players from the 13s and 14s. So we were working on um, running and playing off the front foot. The week before, we were working on killer passes. Uh, next two or three weeks, we worked on a two or three week cycle. Mm-hmm. So three weeks' time, it might be um, range of pass and switch and play. Um, so they get lots and lots of practice, lots of repetition to hone these skills, which is. So, so important. Yeah, Ian sounds like you're doing some great work down there with the, with the young players. Um, Ian, what, what would be your takeaway messages from this discussion with us tonight um, for coaches listening in to, 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 to try to create that, that complete midfielder that we've spoke about and the best midfielders in the world? Well, I'm sure to create that the the, go, the takeaway message I think is that as a coach and I keep saying we've all got an eye haven't we the coach's eye is always important I think when you see a player trying things and it doesn't come off it's the encouragement you see what they're trying keep yeah. encouraging that you know don't bear them and say oh come on that you've got to keep encouraging them and I think all rounded, I think Gary, in, in speaking about that, whether it, it's any player for me, is is get to know more about the person. You know, mm-hmm. we keep talking about the player, the player, the player, and look at the young kids coming through, and we all have ups and downs at home, and this, that, and the other. It's getting to know a bit more about the person as well as the player, which is very important. Um, what makes them tick? You know what I mean. Yeah. Uh, make sure you always encouragement. Tell them, hey, when it's not right, you've got to you've got to be honest. You know, you've got to gain your trust, but you've got to be honest. And treat the treat the. I keep saying, treat the players and respect the players. How would you would want to be treated when you were a young? Yeah. That would be my takeaway. You know, yeah. uh, the players have got to. Understand that us as coaches, we try to give our best at every time. At times, them can help themselves because to get through in the modern game as young players, it's a lot of practice and repetition. They've got to sacrifice a lot. Mm. To be a professional footballer at any level, they've got to sacrifice a lot. Mm. And in the end, it's going to happen just because they rock up at an academy and train a couple of times a week, three times a week. Then we've got to sacrifice and put a lot of work in on the run, on the training pitch. Mm-hmm. The facilities, particularly at the at academies now, are fantastic. We've got all the goals, all the footballs, all the bounce boards you would want. The kids have got to really apply themselves and think, well, I've got to maximise that time when I come through the academy. Um, 
and try to give everything I've got. And if it doesn't happen, if that journey comes to an end at some point, you can always look in your in the mirror and say, "Well, I couldn't have give any more." Mm. And I think, you know, for me, every player is different. Every player is different, and they all respond to different stimuli. You know, some people yeah. may need a little kick up the backside. Other players may need a arm around the shoulder. Yeah. So we've got to treat everybody as individuals. Mm. Yeah, Ian, great advice. Great advice. Thank you very much. Ian, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks for thanks for sharing um, your story, your journey, um, and your knowledge around what that modern midfielder looks like. Brilliant, Gary. Always a pleasure. Good to see you, Gaz. Thank you very much, Ian. Speak to you soon. Look forward to seeing you soon. All the best. Take care, Paul.